Good morning again. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21. Our sermon text for this morning will be Acts 21, verse 27 through 23, verse 11. Acts 21, verse 27 through 23, verse 11. And uh, before we read that, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would lead us now, that you would uh, take us by the hand, as it were, and lead us deeper into your word and deeper into the gospel and uh, deeper into your grace, that you would uh, comfort us and encourage us and challenge us and call us again to follow you. Work by your spirit to those ends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 21, beginning with verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, that's Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another, And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers... Hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. 
As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by, my, by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him, and he said, The Lord God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away, to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voice and said, voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. When they had stretched him out for, for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet and brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. 
Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. When he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if an angel or a spirit spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. It is so easy to get distracted. I don't know about you, but I fight uh, every day and lose as much as I win. Big things, little things, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, nowadays we carry our distractions around with us in our pockets. And yet we can't blame our phones, right? Because life, life itself can be its own distraction. We can get so caught up in the moment that we forget the big picture. You know, I don't know how many times I got distracted just while writing this sermon. I'd find myself daydreaming about the church, which seems like an odd thing to daydream about, I know, but I do that, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to write a sermon, and I'm distracted about something else. Sometimes we, we're just confused about what we should be doing. Sometimes we actually go out looking for distractions, right? Unwilling to do what we should be doing. Right? We don't want to be doing this, so we, we, we seek out some distraction. And yet sometimes, sometimes we just feel hopeless that whatever we're supposed to doing is actually going to make any bit of difference. And so we bury our heads in our favorite pastime and just try to forget the world that's going on around us. You know, confusion and stubbornness and hopelessness, right? These all make it hard to persevere, hard to be single-minded in what we're doing, hard to be undistracted. Well, what should we be doing? Right? As God's people, what should we be doing? Uh, what is God's mission in the world? What, what's our part in that? What does the Christian life look like day by day? Are you willing to go down that path, whatever it looks like? Is it really possible? Right? I mean, uh, do you have some unrealistic picture in your mind of what it looks like to follow Jesus? Right? Something that's extraordinary and amazing around every turn. And yet, at the same time, something that seems completely unattainable. Do you ever just feel like giving up? Like it'd be easier just to, just to set it aside and give yourself over to the distractions of our age. Well, if we are to stay focused and stay on the mission that God has given to us, uh, we need to understand God's plan. Uh, we need to, to find our part in it and commit to that part, and we need to hope in Christ's promise. That's our outline for this morning. You can find that on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along or take notes. If we are to stay on mission, we need to understand God's plan, find our part, and hope in God's promise. So first, understand God's plan. 
Uh, we have entered into now in the book of Acts, we've entered into the last third of the book of Acts. Uh, the last third, the whole last third of the book focuses on Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, his trials before various authorities, and his eventual journey to Rome. Uh, Luke, the, the writer of Acts, his, his goal has not changed at this point, right? He's still showing the same things, right? He's highlighting, especially in this final third, Christ's grace to the Gentiles. That God has a mission to the Gentiles and he is going to fulfill it. And Paul has come to Jerusalem now. He's bringing an offering to the Gentile church, we know from other places in Acts and, and Paul's letters. He's bringing a, uh, uh, an offering from the Gentile church to the, the Jewish, poorer Jewish Christian community in Jerusalem. And Paul comes, uh, he comes with this willingness to love his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. And so to show that he's not against the law of Moses in itself, we saw last week, he agrees to participate in a, in a ritual together with four others. And this is where we find Paul in our passage, we find him participating in a purification rite in the temple. And uh, not only do we find Paul here, but some others find him as well. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. See, there, there were some, some Jews there, likely there for Pentecost, in Jerusalem for Pentecost, but they were originally from Asia. And uh, since they recognize, we see in the next verse, they recognize the Ephesian Trophimus, they're likely from Ephesus, right? So here are some, some uh, Jewish people from Ephesus. And as uh, many of the Jewish people stirred up trouble for Paul throughout his church planting work in Asia, including Ephesus, so they stir up trouble here. They accuse Paul of teaching against the people and against the law and against this place. And that's kind of the three uh, pillars of Judaism, right? There's the Jewish people, the Jewish law, and the Jewish temple. And of course, ironically, they accuse Paul of defiling the temple. And it's ironic because Paul is there for a ritual of purification. <laughs> so he's there to be purified. He's focused on purity. Uh, and they accuse him of defiling the temple. None of these accusations are true, of course, but the crowds don't know that, and so they immediately, they're whipped up into a frenzy, they seize Paul, they drag him out of the temple, they begin to beat him. And the, the Roman tribune, kind of the chief of police, right, he, he takes a few hundred men, actually, it says centurions, plural, and a centurion was in charge of a hundred men, so they take, he takes a few hundred men, and he runs down to the court of the Gentiles where they likely were, he, he can't get a straight answer out of the mob, verse 34, so they bring Paul up to the barracks, which was just up the hill from the temple. They're carrying him because of the violence of the crowd. Paul convinces uh, the tribune at this point to let him speak to the crowds. And Paul begins to tell his story. Now, now we'll come back to sort of the content of that story in just a minute, but it's where Paul ends that I want you to notice for the moment. Uh, look at the end of Paul's uh, speech in chapter 22, verse 21 and 22. Paul says this, speaking of Jesus, he says, And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. 
What word? The word Gentiles, right? Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed even to live. And see, they balk at the idea that Paul might be sent to the Gentiles. Now, what are we to make of all of this chaos and confusion uh, in the temple? What are we to make of their rejection of Paul, their rejection of, especially of his mission to the Gentiles? And I think part of it is that many of the Jewish people in Paul's day did not understand God's plan. They didn't understand God's plan for the nations. They didn't understand God's plan about, was about grace. You see, they reject Paul's mission to the Gentiles because they have rejected their own mission to be a light to the nations. Think about it. Think back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, which we read earlier, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, God had privileged the Jewish people. He had chosen them out of all the nations. But their privilege was to the end of blessing the nations. In you, God says, all families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, God says of his people later in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This was God's plan. He wanted his salvation to reach to the end of the earth. He wanted his people to be a light to the nations. The problem was, over time, God's people forgot that this was the goal. They began to see their salvation as the end game of God's election, right? God chose them, why? So that, so that he could save them, period, the end. And it was a short step to thinking that God had chosen them because they were something special, you know, it's easy to think that, that, you know, if God has blessed you in some way, it's easy to think that God blesses you because you're different. In fact, God warned Israel about this through Moses way back in the book of Deuteronomy. You may remember uh, Moses said this, when you defeat your enemies and build houses, when you plant vineyards, do all of these great things, don't think, quote, that it's by my power and the might of my hand that I got all this, right? Don't think it's you. Remember that God has given you power to get all these things. But, Moses goes on, when God gives you the land, when he gives you these things, don't think it's because of my righteousness that God did this, right? Don't think God did all these things for you because you're so hot. Don't think, Moses goes on to say, don't think that God chose you or God loves you because you, you were such a great nation. No, God loves you because he loves you. There's no deeper reason than that. See, but those are our temptations. Our temptation is to kind of forget the story, forget that God chose us for a purpose, right, to be a light to the nations, to, and then to forget that God saves us, not because of anything in us, to forget that he loves us simply because he loves us. And we begin to think that God's saving me is, is about me rather than about his grace, and think of the Pharisee, right, in the story that Jesus tells uh, in Luke 18. Jesus says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see, our temptation is to begin to think, well, of course God saves me. I'm something special. Look at all that I've done. Look at how good I am. Of course, friends, God's plan is bigger than you. It's for all peoples. And his plan is bigger than your good deeds. It's bigger than your bad deeds. God's plan is about grace. His free forgiveness offered through the blood of Jesus. God's plan is about grace for all peoples. And once, once Israel forgot that story, once Israel forgot what God had done, forgot why God had chosen them, once they forgot God's plan was about grace for all peoples, it was a short step for them to reject their part in God's plan. Which brings us to our next point. See, we need, to, we need to understand God's plan, but we also need to understand our part in it. See, while God's plan is bigger than you and me, and is bigger than our good deeds and our bad deeds, because it's about His grace, that doesn't mean that we have no part in that plan. Israel had a part in that plan. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, God was going to bless the nations through Abraham and his offspring, but they missed it. And uh, as Luke says of some in John the Baptist's day at one point, he says, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Of course, ironically, this is exactly what they accused Paul of. They accused Paul of speaking against his heritage, speaking against the Jewish people, the Mosaic law, the Jerusalem temple. They accused Paul of, of, of being off mission. Paul, you've, you've lost your way. Yeah, we know you started out as a persecutor of Christians, but what happened to you now? The first chance Paul gets, he, he begins to mount this defense. And first, Paul, he gives this litany of his credentials in verses 4 and 5, right? He says he was raised in Jerusalem. He was educated at the feet of the best rabbis in town. He was educated according to the strict adherence to the law. He was zealous for God, so zealous he persecuted Christians. From Jerusalem all the way to Damascus. From his childhood, Paul had sought nothing but faithfulness to God's people, God's law, God's temple. But then one day something did change. Paul met Jesus on the way to Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus. And I have to say, I, I've realized uh, recently that, that we, we often read the Damascus Road story a bit wrong. Uh, we, we talk about it as Paul's conversion story, and it is that. But that's not really why Luke includes it three times in the book of Acts. The Damascus Road story is not, it's not primarily Paul's conversion story. It's Paul's commission story. In Acts 9, God said to Ananias, Go to Paul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was to carry the name of Jesus to all peoples. Or here in Acts 22, we, we are told that Ananias says to Paul in verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. See, Paul is to be an eyewitness of what he has seen and heard. That's, that's what the Damascus Road story is about. Uh, again, later in the book of Acts, we, we hear Paul's story a third time, Acts chapter 26, and we're told that Jesus says to Paul on the Damascus Road, I have appeared to you for this purpose, 
to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, these stories, every time Luke tells it, they're not primarily about Paul's conversion, but about Paul's commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and, and this is the way Paul saw it, right? He had been commissioned by Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the, testify to the gospel of the grace of God. At one point, even when the Jewish people had rejected uh, the, Paul and Barnabas and their message, Paul and Barnabas said this in Acts 13. They said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to the Jewish people, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, Paul takes this prophecy of Isaiah, a prophecy of Israel being a light to the Gentiles, and he applies it to himself, that he would be a light to the Gentiles, that that is why Christ raised him up for that purpose. Now, now what's the point? Uh, the point is, uh, Paul has not only not forsaken God's people as they accuse him, Paul is actually the only one in the picture fulfilling the mission of Israel, to be a light to the nations. That's the mission that God gave to Israel. That's the mission that Paul is fulfilling. And here, here's what we need to see. Uh, the, the Jewish people of Paul's day, they, they rejected God's purpose for them. Paul was commissioned by the risen Jesus. He picked up that mission to be a light to the nations. Paul fulfilled that role despite opposition and trial and hunger and shipwreck and more. Uh, but of course, we're not Paul. Uh, we're not eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. We actually, we don't have his role. And so there are two things that we need to do as we think about this. One, we need to figure out, okay, well, what is our part in this plan? What is our part in God's mission? And then unlike the Jews of Paul's day, we need to commit to that part. You know, every, every Christian is given a part in, in God's work. God wants to glorify his son by bringing the gospel to the nations. And of course, at the, at the very least, our part is to believe that gospel. If you have, have not yet heard the good news and believed, that's the first step. Jesus Christ came into the world for the sake of the nations, to bear sin and to bear the curse that we deserved. He suffered in our place as our substitute. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And now everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the hope of the resurrection. Your part in God's plan begins with believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there's more. God, God, God brings us into his family through his son, and then he calls us uh, to serve him as his people in the world. To use whatever gifts, whatever talents he has given for the good of our neighbor and the glory of God. To so speak and serve that people see and hear Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean everyone in here is to, you know, quit their job and become a missionary. Right where you are, right, uh, right there, you can represent Jesus 
through the things that you do in your workplace, in your classrooms, in your neighborhoods, in your home. Becoming a Christian, right, may not change what you do at all, but it will certainly change how you do it and for whom you do it. As we begin to do all things for the glory of God and unto the Lord Jesus, right, we serve the Lord Christ in our work. So how has God gifted you to speak and serve, to show and tell Jesus to the world in word and deed? Again, at the very least, everyone can pray for God's work. Uh, at one point, Jesus said, Luke 10, 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I say at the very least, that's, that's probably not even fair, right? God calls us to pray for his work. There's nothing least about it. And of course, while you're praying for that, pray that God would show you your part, your role, that he would give you opportunities to use your own gifts, your own talents, to glorify Christ by showing and telling his grace to those around you. And so find your part in God's plan. Commit to it, regardless of where you are, regardless of, of what you're doing in life. Take every opportunity to, to use what God has given you to his service, his glory, his honor. So first, we need to understand God's plan. We need to find our part and commit to it. And third, we need to hope in Christ's promises. You know, after this mob starts back up again in verse 22, the tribune brings Paul fully into the barracks. Eventually, he holds him overnight. Uh, he brings Paul in chapter 22, verse 30, into the, the Jewish council the next day. The tribune still has no idea what's going on or, or why uh, this riot was caused. And uh, while there in this council, Paul does something interesting. And uh, sometimes Paul is, is kind of... Um, He's berated for this or looked down on for what he does, but he, he realizes that the Jewish council is divided. And look at what he does in, in chapter 23, verses 6 through 8. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. When he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. See, Paul realizes the council is divided, and so he actually divides it still further. <laughs> he divides them over the doctrine of the resurrection. Once again, there's so much confusion and chaos that the tribune moves Paul by force to keep him safe. And Jesus appears to Paul that night and says this in verse 11. Jesus says to Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now, you, you can imagine, it could not have been easy to be Paul. It, and it would have been very easy to be discouraged. You, you come to Jerusalem to try to, to try to make peace between the Jewish church and the Gentile church to try to show your love for your own people and you're immediately arrested for it, beaten, well first beaten for it, then arrested, right? You spend the night in jail. And this is not this is not a one-off for Paul, right? This is the pattern of his life. Wherever he goes, mobs seem to materialize. In 2 Corinthians, Paul recounts a whole list of troubles. 
He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You might understand if Paul was tempted to get discouraged. Surely there were days when it seemed hopeless. Is this worth it? Is it going anywhere? And so Jesus comes to Paul, and it's not the first time in the book of Acts, Jesus comes to Paul and he says in verse 11, take courage. Right? Don't lose heart. Don't give up. I will fulfill my purposes for you. And of course, even in this passage, we can see a little bit of the force behind the promise of Jesus. You know, the things that seem most likely to derail Paul's mission are actually the very things that seem to further it. And so think about it. The mob violence, right, is what actually brings about Paul's opportunity to preach to the crowd in the temple. He was there to quietly uh, uh, pursue this ritual of purification, but the mob comes and it gives him this opportunity then to begin to preach. Paul's arrest is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Agabus, and ultimately it's his arrest that will lead to his journey to Rome. Right? He's going to get a Roman escort all the way to Rome itself because of his arrest. God is fulfilling his purposes for Paul, not despite their violence and oppression and hostility, but actually through it. It's God's overturning their evil for good. And that lends weight to Jesus' words, right? Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus is able to fulfill these promises. He's able to care for Paul no matter what troubles come his way. And he's able to fulfill his purposes for Paul. Jesus doesn't say, Paul, I sure hope you can figure out how to get out of this. I have pretty big plans for you, and if you can get out of this pickle, you'll do great things for me in Rome. Jesus doesn't say, Paul, I know you're tough, and I'm sure you can do it. No, Jesus says, take courage. My plans for you will be fulfilled. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Keep going. Now, the truth is, uh, we can all sometimes do some pretty dumb things. Uh, we can pursue our own ends. We can live for the desires of this age. And uh, Jesus makes no promise that, that as we pursue that life, that that will lead to fruitfulness. In fact, quite the opposite. But, you know, uh, as we have some sense of God's purpose for our lives, however faulty and incomplete, because it will be in this life, if you know you have a role in those purposes, if you've committed to pursuing that, admitting that you fail daily, you need God's grace constantly, you need his mercy, but as you pursue him, God will fulfill his purposes for you. You know, Paul gives us these promises in other places, right? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. God's not going to give up on you. He's going to keep doing his work in you no matter what. All things in your life will work together for the good of those who love God. That's a promise for us. It's not a promise things are going to turn out the way we want, 
but it's a promise, a promise that God will work in us and through us to his glory, no matter what. And so we run the race with confidence. This is Paul's confidence. Also in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul talked about his trials and his confidence like this. He said, but we have this treasure in the context, the treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, right? the treasure of the gospel. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. See, see Paul saw his life all of the troubles, all of the trials, all of the struggles as actually the means God was using to work out his purposes. This is actually why Paul can say in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? That doesn't mean I can go climb a mountain or you know, get the grade or expand my business through Christ who strengthens me. Right? That's not what that means. In fact, if, if you look at the context, it, it means more like I can be weak and empty and afflicted through Christ, and in the end still know that he will be glorified. God wants to glorify his son and bless the nations. He, he wants his grace to be known throughout the earth, and he will accomplish his purpose. And so we hope, not in our giftedness or not in our piety, not in our holiness or righteousness or any such thing. No, we, we hope in the promise of Jesus to be with us always in joy and sorrow and pleasure and pain to finish what he started. Do you understand God's purpose is to bless the nations, to bring grace to all peoples? Do you see your role in that, right? Whatever that might be for you in this time, in this place, right here, right now, are you committed to, to serving Jesus, whatever that might look like? Rest in Jesus to fulfill his work in and through you by the power of his spirit to the glory of his name. Take courage. He is able and he will finish what he started. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that uh, our Christian life, our, our service to you is not, is not on our shoulders. We thank you for your promises to complete what you have begun. We thank you for your promises that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you for the joy and the pleasure of getting to be a part of that. We pray that you would guide each one of us and guide us as a church to see and understand where you are calling us to serve you in this time and this place. Yet help us not to, to rest in our own strength to, to fulfill that. Help us to rest in the power of your spirit. Help us to rest in your promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.